0: Hi, everybody, Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson podcast on justthenews.com. I hope you'll check out all the Just the News podcasts. You can go to justthenews.com and see the list of them on the home page. Today, an investigation into the origins of COVID-19, an investigation you can trust and believe as I separate fact from rumors and come away with some surprising and disturbing findings. Let me start by summarizing what I found after investigating the origin of COVID-19. So four bullet points here. Number one, numerous scientific insiders are signing on to the lab origin theory for COVID-19 and a link to controversial research funded by your tax dollars. Number two, some high-profile health figures who've worked very hard to debunk lab origin questions are, in fact, linked to funding and vaccine research partnerships with China's Wuhan Institute of Virology, the very lab in question. Number three, the U.S.-Chinese research at issue here involved genetically engineering bat coronavirus to make it infect human airway cells in mice in order to invent vaccines and other therapeutics. And number four, U.S. taxpayer money supported the controversial vaccine research with the Chinese scientists through the National Institutes of Health, NIH, and the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, and some support under NIH came from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, led by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, I realize at the outset this is one of the more important or significant investigations that I've done in the past year or so. And I hope that one thing maybe you've gathered from conversations or discussions we've had is that when in the media there's an overwhelming narrative or a push not to ask certain questions or look at a certain piece of evidence or listen to certain expert opinions or read certain studies. When there is that sort of a push today, it usually means to me at least that I need to look at that information that these influential interests are trying to get us not to consider. I need to ask the questions that they're trying to get people not to ask or they're controversializing and attacking people who ask them. And that's kind of what led me down the road of looking into the true origins of COVID-19 a couple of points stuck out from the beginning for me. First of all, back early on, when people asked the most logical question, at least in my mind, which was, is COVID-19 a product of a research lab that was doing controversial bat coronavirus research in the very city where we believe COVID-19 started? Wuhan, China. That would seem to be a very rational, reasonable question, but you may remember when reporters and experts and other people started asking that very logical question, they came to be controversialized. That's a conspiracy theory, we were told. Only tin foil hat nuts would think such a thing or would even want to ask the question. So that told me there were some pretty powerful interests that didn't want us looking there and maybe we ought to be. Trust your cognitive dissonance. When you see people asking a very logical, reasonable question, and yet it's treated as if it's crazy to even think of it, and a lot of the media is jumping on board with that same narrative, then we need to know more about what they don't want us to investigate. Another point you may recall is that fairly early on, I would say in late spring of 2020, our intelligence agencies released information that indicated they believed that the Wuhan lab was likely or possibly a source of COVID-19. And then we didn't hear anything else. There was never really a button put on that. No announcement came out that said, yes, this is what they concluded, or no, they ruled it out. Just pretty much silence from any official body. And meantime, as people kept asking the question, maybe did it come from the lab, the push to make that out of bounds and something that couldn't be discussed, at least among rational people, That continued. Something else I noticed, that many in the media early on were claiming to know that it didn't come from the lab when they couldn't possibly know such a thing. This is something that's a relatively new development in the mainstream press in the past five or six years, where instead of sticking to facts, they will simply declare that something is true or is not based on really nothing, based on thin air, because they themselves have not been on the ground and investigated the origins of COVID-19. They're simply declaring that it's not possible or it's silly or it can't be true or somebody that they spoke to said that it can't be true, and then they deem that to be the truth. That's not how real reporting, at least in my mind, should work. You can't just take the view of one narrative or one set of supposed experts And declare that to be the truth when there's no proof either way, when you couldn't possibly know and they couldn't possibly know. In this case, we know that China did not provide the genetic samples, the lab samples that would be necessary to match with COVID-19 to see if perhaps there was something that lends itself to thinking it came from the lab. We know that China did not allow us the inspections that we asked for to try to figure out the origins. So for reporters fairly early on in the Washington Post and elsewhere to simply claim that the lab theory had been debunked when it couldn't possibly have been debunked, and when they've never offered proof of the alternate theory, the natural genesis of COVID-19, well, that tells you something's up. So I reserved comment because I hadn't looked into this myself, and I'm not just listening to what other people say and drawing conclusions, and I spoke to a lot of scientists including some with firsthand knowledge and information on this matter. And then I dug through research, grants, published studies, and found that there's actually quite a well-documented trail of some things that you've been hearing that maybe some people said were debunked, but have not been debunked. In fact, it's right there in black and white in some cases. So I'm going to go over all of this with you today. And in case you want to look at the material yourself, which I encourage you to do, read up, don't just listen to one source on things, you can go to CherylAckeson.com and look for Separating Rumor from Fact on COVID-19's Origin. I call that my exclusive investigation, Separating Rumor from Fact on COVID-19's Origin. I will paste this at the top of CherylAckeson.com for a few days. You can always search for it or look for it under the Special Investigations tab. And it's going to have excerpts of documents. It will have links to materials so that you can check this out for yourself and form your own conclusions. But I thought a helpful way to talk about this today would be to play the video report. I put this together in a fairly concise video. And then I will stop playing the report and give you some additional information that I didn't have time to fit into the report but that adds or amplifies upon some of the points. So let's start at the beginning of this video report. When the former head of the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Robert Redfield, recently said COVID-19 likely leaked from a Chinese research lab, news headlines called it shocking.
1: I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was from a laboratory, um, you know, escaped.
0: That was followed by a flurry of media reports ridiculing the notion, insisting that COVID-19 probably jumped from bats to people through an unexplained natural route. But there's new information that hasn't been widely reported. A sizable segment of the research community has formed the same opinion as Dr. Redfield that COVID-19 leaked from experiments at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Okay, stopping the report for just a moment. So to be clear, there are two possibilities according to scientists one is that bat coronavirus a particular strain or a particular type somehow naturally on its own became infectious in people and started the pandemic what they don't have or don't know after all this time is what middleman or what animal did the bat coronavirus go through to then adapt itself and become infectious in people but that would be a natural route that's what you've probably been hearing a lot of people claim over the past year, year and a half. The other possibility that's been talked about is, was this a genetically manipulated virus, manipulated to become very infective from the Wuhan lab in this large city in China where they do a lot of biological research? Next, you're going to hear in the story from Jamie Metzel, who is on the World Health Organization's International Advisory Committee on human genome editing.
1: There are scientists all around the world who have told me that they believe the most likely origin of COVID-19 of the pandemic is an accidental lab leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology.
0: Jamie Metzel is a member of the World Health Organization International Advisory Committee on Human Genome Editing. What have you been told and what have you found about scientists that feel like they can't step forward?
1: Many of these people are afraid to step forward. They've called it career suicide because there are so many contentious issues, because the stakes are so high, uh, because the Chinese government, uh, in collaboration or conjunction or maybe not even association, but um, with some very high level and prominent scientists have put forward this story uh, that I think is wrong.
0: Okay, what he's saying is that he's spoken with many scientists around the world who think that COVID-19 likely came from the research lab, despite what you've been hearing on the news and in the press and maybe reading on social media in the past year and a half. That's sort of one of the points of my investigation, is that more scientists than not, who I spoke to on the inside, including those who didn't want to be named, um, more of them than not have known, they say, for quite some time, that in their view, this is a man-manipulated virus that came from the Wuhan lab. So the question is why that's been considered or called in so much of the media a conspiracy theory. Back to my story. Two scientists with knowledge of the matter told me the U.S. government conducted genome sequencing almost immediately in the pandemic. Among other things they say, COVID-19 shows clear hallmarks of man's intervention. Important points there. First of all, it was never announced publicly, at least that I saw, that we had dissected the genes of COVID-19 and that there appeared to be clear hallmarks of man's intervention. But that came from very reliable sources. So I can report that with a lot of clarity. And it may be a good time to throw in another point. As people have tried to deflect attention from the lab theory or debunk or discredit it, Sometimes you have to listen to the way they're answering their own question or the question that they're asking. They will often say, it's a conspiracy theory or it has been debunked that COVID-19 was man-made. Now, nobody that I know of has suggested COVID-19 was man-made. They're making an assertion and debunking it, but the assertion is not exactly what anybody I spoke to is saying. They're saying that is, it is a genuine bat coronavirus that is man manipulated, not man made. And this is much more than a conspiracy theory because there is a long trail of documentation and published studies with scientists around the world manipulating coronavirus for various purposes we'll talk about in just a moment. Back to my report.
1: I don't
0: French virologist Luc Montagnier, a Nobel Prize recipient, arrived at the same conclusion a year ago. He says COVID 19's genetics reveal manipulation. Someone added sequences, he said. It's the work of professionals of molecular biologists, a very meticulous work. A little bit more about who is Luc Montagnier and why maybe you never even heard that a year ago he had examined the genetics of COVID 19 and quite firmly concluded that it was a man-manipulated virus. He's a French virologist, as I said, and the recipient of the 2008 Nobel Prize in Medicine for his discovery of HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus. You can look this up for yourself if you'd like to see the translated version of Professor Montagnier's comments. You spell his name M-O-N-T-A-G-N-I-E-R. Now, of course, if you search online, you are bound to come up with all of the articles and propaganda that came out trying to discredit him because he came to this conclusion. But again, you should still be able to also find his video, which is on YouTube. I find I have better success when I don't search on YouTube, when I go to DuckDuckGo and do a general search with the name. By the way, his first name is L-U-C, so you could search Montagnier Luc Montagnier and coronavirus, you should be able to come up with this video if you're interested. He is quoted as having said that there is no doubt in his mind that this was a manipulated virus because in order to insert a sequence that he observed into the genome, he said molecular tools are needed and that can only be done in a laboratory. He is not the only one who has come out with these findings besides the scientists I spoke to who have firsthand knowledge but cannot be named, there was a Dr. Stephen Quay, PhD and CEO of a place called Atosa Therapeutics, and he conducted an analysis that says he concluded beyond a reasonable doubt that COVID-19 is lab-derived from a lab. And we're about to find out, as I continue my story, that the notion of coronavirus being genetically manipulated in a lab is not only not far-fetched, it's quite well documented. Genetic analysis alone isn't 100% conclusive because results must be compared to viruses from the Wuhan lab and sources confirm we never got the sample from China. But scientists who spoke with me say genome sequencing, coupled with what's known about research conducted by a U.S.-Chinese partnership, leaves them with little doubt that COVID-19 is a product of experiments. The scientists I talked to don't want to be quoted by name for fear of repercussions in today's politically charged environment. They're highly critical that a U.S. research collaboration was allowed with China, a communist nation with an active bioweapons program, and arguably our biggest world competitor and foe. Stopping there for a moment because that's another recurring point that was made to me as I spoke with scientists. They do not think it should ever have been allowed that we were conducting the risky sort of research that we, the United States, were conducting with communist China. And by way of background, it is widely believed or widely known and established that China has an active bioweapons program and that the scientists in China are not independent of the communist government and the military missions. I know Dr. Anthony Fauci has said that he trusts the Chinese scientists as if he thinks they somehow have autonomy or independence from the government, well, that's not how it works there. And the scientists I spoke to think it's either naive or misleading to believe or to say that would be the case, that somehow these Chinese scientists are able to act with independence from the Chinese communist government. So you heard correctly. It's been definitively established in the published research and in the grants that United States scientists were partnered with scientists at the Chinese Wuhan lab on some sensitive research. And as you'll hear in a moment, that our tax dollars were funding at least part of it. Scientists from the US and the Wuhan lab joined up on experiments that involved making that coronavirus more infectious to try to invent a vaccine. It's called gain of function research and it's controversial because it could create a lethal virus that escapes and causes a pandemic. That's worth stopping there for a moment. So what we're establishing here is that we were not only partnered in research with China, but the specific research was intended to take bat coronavirus that was not infectious in people, in fact, it was harmless to people, but to make it infectious in people That's called gain-of-function research. Why would they do something like that? Why would you want to take a virus that's harmless to us and make it infectious to us? Well, the goal is, in the case of a lot of this research, to try to come up with a vaccine or other therapeutics. They're trying to stay ahead of what the next pandemic could be. They're trying to take an educated guess that a certain type of bat coronavirus might on its own adapt itself and become infectious in humans. And they're trying to speed up that process so that they can get ahead of it and come up with a vaccine, which would be worth a lot of money to the companies that partner with the United States on this type of research. Back to the story. Again, we're talking about this gain of function research that the US and China scientists were doing. So risky, the US temporarily halted such studies in 2014, but an exception was made the gain-of-function research underway by the U.S. and Wuhan scientists was reviewed and approved for continued study by the National Institutes of Health, or NIH. To elaborate on that for a moment, we're saying that there was this risky research being conducted, and in 2014, it was determined we just didn't have enough secure checks and balances in place. There had been some accidents here in the United States involving CDC, and some academic institutions, so temporarily at least, the gain-of-function research was halted here. It was just deemed to be too dangerous, too risky, but an exception was made to allow this controversial study by the U.S. and Wuhan scientists to continue. And who was it who said it should continue or it could continue? The National Institutes of Health, or NIH. And if you look at my story at com, you will see the excerpt, from this controversial study that was allowed to continue, the 2015 gain of function study funded by and approved by NIH, you'll see a disclosure that was published at the bottom of the study that said the study was initiated after the University of North Carolina, which was partnered in this, after its Institutional Biosafety Committee approved the experimental protocol, and that the study was initiated before the U.S. government's pause on gain-of-function research. But there's more when talking about this controversial research in 2015. NIH didn't only approve the research, it paid for it with six grants of tax dollars, including from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, led by Dr. Anthony Fauci. That's an important point because there has been perhaps some confused reporting that was probably not intentionally misleading, at least on the part of the reporters, that seemed to say the National Institutes of Health was sure that it had never funded gain-of-function research. Well, they did. Now, they may have funded other studies that were related that did not specifically do gain-of-function research, but this particular study, it's there in black and white in the documents funded by NIH, funded by our tax dollars, gain-of-function research that succeeded in making bat coronavirus infective in people. And there's more. Listen. More taxpayer money from Fauci's Institute and the U.S. Agency for International Development was funneled through EcoHealth Alliance to the coronavirus research with China. All right, so we're saying there were some direct grants and direct funding by the National Institutes of Health to this controversial gain-of-function research that we partnered with with the Chinese scientists we also funneled more US tax money from the US Agency for International Development and NIH through a nonprofit based in New York called Eco Health Alliance a very interesting group that I looked into it started years ago as sort of a wildlife charity and became transformed after a couple of years into something quite different it seems to me Because if you look at the funders, it became a very large $12 million, $13 million a year nonprofit with almost all of its funding coming from the U.S. government, coming from the National Institutes of Health, coming from the Defense Department, the Pentagon, coming from USAID. Okay, back to the story talking about EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance is a New York-based nonprofit led by Peter Daszak a zoologist who specializes in viruses transmitted from animals to people. And we'll stop there to say that Peter Daszak's name is a co-author on some research related to bat coronavirus with the Wuhan scientists. So he's not just the head of this nonprofit, he's directly involved in research, which kind of puts him in a potential conflict of interest situation, as we'll hear more about in just a few minutes wanted to talk a little bit more about EcoHealth Alliance before we go back to the story. It describes its mission in its IRS records as protecting global health by preventing the outbreak of emerging diseases. And according to tax records, it brought in about $18.5 million in 2018, almost entirely from U.S. government agencies, as I said. Its biggest single reported expense was about $5.43 million in grants to foreign governments. And I thought it was interesting that when you look at salaries and employee-related costs, those amount to about $6.3 million, about a third of all of the income, which is pretty high for a charity if 30% of what it brings in goes to salary and employee-related expenses. It's top five contributors that it listed in 2018, and I have the document on my website as part of the story, $11.5 million from USAID, $2.5 million from the Defense Department, $601,000 from Health and Human Services, $783,000 from the Department of Homeland Security, and $900,000 from the vaccine maker Johnson & Johnson. And naturally, I was curious as to why Johnson & Johnson is giving $900,000 to this charity that spends about one-third of its money on salaries, and Johnson & Johnson did not reply to any of my requests for information about this. And so working on this research that was funded by federal government and partly by a group called EcoHealth Alliance, a nonprofit run by a man named Peter Daszak, let's go back to the story to see. Who else is involved? Also working on the research, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina. His work centered on genetically manipulating coronavirus, in part to allow for development of vaccines and therapeutics. All right, this is a bit arcane, but looking at the published study that Ralph Barrick of the University of North Carolina was involved in with the Wuhan scientists, here is a little bit about what it says. The, the gain-of-function study from 2015, funded by NIH, that Ralph Barrick took part in, worked with the lead virologist from China's Wuhan Institute of Virology and involved infecting mice with a genetically modified bat coronavirus and testing a live attenuated virus vaccination on them. Here's a quote. For vaccination, it says in the study, young and aged mice were vaccinated by foot pad injection, then boosted with the same regimen 22 days later and challenged 21 days thereafter. All experiments were conducted, contrasting two experimental groups, either two viruses or vaccinated and unvaccinated cohorts. The story continues. Together, they teamed up with a renowned Chinese virologist nicknamed Batwoman at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Jing Li. They engineered genetic hybrids of bat coronaviruses, successfully getting them to infect human airway cells grafted in mice. I hope this is the sort of deep dive you appreciate. We'll be back with more right after a short break. We are back to talk more about what I learned, what's in the documentation about the potential origin of COVID-19 and how it may relate to research conducted and funded by the U.S. in partnership with Chinese scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Next, you're going to hear from Peter Dashak, the head of the nonprofit EcoHealth Alliance, who conducted some of the research that was done with the Wuhan lab and also accepted some funding from the U.S. government that then was sent on to this research at the Wuhan lab. Here's Dashak. You can um, manipulate them in the lab pretty easily. Dashak talked about the collaboration in this interview just before the COVID-19 outbreak. He says the team's research was designed to stop coronavirus from crossing into people and to help develop a vaccine for the resulting illness, SARS.
1: The logical progression for vaccines is if you're going to develop a vaccine for SARS,
0: mm-hmm.
1: people are going to use um, you know, pandemic is Yeah, sure, sure, But let's try and insert some of these other yeah. related and, and get a better vaccine.
0: That's important what he's talking about there. So the altruistic part of this research that's going on is again, that scientists really have been working for a long time to try to get ahead of what would be the next pandemic, to try to anticipate what could be the animal virus that crosses into people, that causes something that could be horrific, but then if this research is done properly, we could be ready and in place with a vaccine or some other therapeutics. But as you are about to hear, this is a very controversial thing to do because of the risks that this type of research apparently carries. Back to the story. As far back as 2015, numerous independent scientists objected to the gain of function research with China. In a published paper, a virologist at the Pasteur Institute in Paris noted the research had produced an engineered novel coronavirus that grows remarkably well in human cells, and if the virus escaped, nobody could predict the trajectory. A biodefense expert added, the only impact of this work is the creation in a lab of a new non-natural risk. So what I've just read are the opinions of scientists who spoke out in 2015 Objecting to this research that the U.S. was doing with China, the gain of function research, and arguing that whatever the motivation, what they've in effect done is take a virus that was harmless to people, and they've made it harmful to people by engineering it, and if it escapes, because accidents certainly happen— and they have happened here in the United States with viruses getting out or somebody becoming infected in the lab and carrying it outside, that it could be a disaster. So in addition to looking for a vaccine to fight coronavirus or a particular type of coronavirus, coronaviruses have been used by scientists for a long time to try to be a vaccine delivery system. So they're trying to make vaccinations against coronavirus, but they're also using coronavirus to create vaccines. Scientists have long conducted research into what they call the potential of coronaviruses as vectors for vaccine development, noting, as I found in some published papers, that several features make these viruses attractive as vaccine and therapeutic vectors. Some research has involved recombinant coronaviruses altered in a lab, quote, bringing together genetic material from multiple sources. Scientists have also noted that there are unique safety issues associated with virus vectored vaccines, warning that such vaccines could mix with wild strains of coronavirus and quote, theoretically generate a more pathogenic strain. So that is some of the risk. How do viral vector vaccines work? When I looked that up, it said that viral vector vaccines use live viruses to carry DNA into human cells. The DNA contained in the virus encodes antigens that once expressed in the infected human cells elicit an immune response. So this is some of the things that are going on with coronavirus research. Back to the story. In 2018, the year before China's outbreak, U.S. State Department science diplomats visited the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They said the research conducted on bat coronaviruses was critically important, but they were so concerned about safety issues at the lab, they dispatched sensitive cables to Washington, D.C., warning that the work posed a possible risk of a new SARS-like pandemic. Josh Rogan of the Washington Post later obtained and published the cables. So when Josh Rogan of the Washington Post published these cables, Last year, I think it was sometime around summertime, I'm surprised it didn't get more notice because among the other things Josh Rogan's work did was to debunk the Washington Post's own reporting on this, which had previously falsely claimed that the whole lab theory had been debunked. And instead, here was Josh Rogan publishing some cables that showed over a year before the pandemic that the U.S. State Department, diplomats from the State Department, had looked at the lab and examined it, likely because in Wuhan, China, we were doing work with them. The United States was partnered with them and they were concerned enough that they issued these sensitive diplomatic cables from the U.S. Embassy in Beijing to Washington, D.C. You can find those cables by, again, going to my website and looking in the story. There will be links to them or just search online for State Department cables, probably Josh Rogan's name at Washington Post, and Coronavirus or Wuhan, and you'll find those. A little bit of detail, the cables talk about the Wuhan Institute of Virology taking 11 years for it to build what it calls the highest level biosafety lab, that's level four, which allows scientists there to research among the most virulent viruses that pose a high risk of aerialized person-to-person transmission. So it's not easy to get approval even in China apparently of level four biosafety research of highly contagious pathogens. Construction was finished according to the U.S. State Department cables. Construction was finished at the Wuhan Institute of Virology of this highly secure lab January 31st 2015 and then it was accredited by the Chinese in February of 2017. The cables that we're talking about were dated January 19th, 2018, the year before the COVID 19 outbreak, really maybe year and a half, year and three quarters before we started having cases in the pandemic. And the cable said, quote, the new lab, talking about the China lab, has a serious shortage of appropriately trained technicians and investigators needed to safely operate this high containment laboratory. And again, looking at the cables, this is where you could see, in addition to published studies that I found, that the Wuhan lab has scientific collaborations, say the cables, with the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, supported by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH, led by Dr. Fauci. And further, according to the cables, Fauci's institute, as well as the U.S. Agency for International Development, had supported a five-year study in 2017 on bat coronaviruses with the Chinese scientists from the Wuhan lab and Peter Daszak of that nonprofit EcoHealth Alliance. Now more of the story. Obviously, there are a number of theories. The For his part, Fauci responded to Redfield's opinion that COVID-19 escaped from the Wuhan lab without addressing his agency's funding of research at issue.
1: So Dr. Redfield was mentioning that he was giving an opinion as to a possibility. But again, there are other alternatives, others that most people hold by.
0: It's worth reiterating here, I think, that as Dr. Fauci has basically discredited or at least drawn attention away from thinking that there's anything to the lab theory, he has not, as far as I've seen, disclosed at the same time his own possible conflict of interest on this matter that his agency and NIH actually was working with the lab in question and had provided funding for it and was partnered in research with the lab. I haven't heard him disclose any of that as he's tried to take attention away from the lab. He has uh, further said about CDC's, the former CDC head, Dr. Redfield, about his opinion that the lab was probably involved. Fauci has said the alternative explanation which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized at the end of December 2019, meaning the patients before they were clinically recognized. If that were the case, Fauci goes on to say, the virus clearly could have adapted itself to a greater efficiency of transmissibility over that period of time, up to and at the time it was recognized, What he's saying there is that there's a plausible explanation for how this was a naturally occurring event, the jump of bat coronavirus from animals to people. That's what he's saying. That's certainly proof of nothing. It's it's a theory, and it does not dispel the notion that perhaps the lab was involved, although it seems like that's the implication Dr. Fauci is trying to make. And something he said that you will hear a lot is, the claim that most public health officials or most scientists have ruled out the lab explanation or don't think that was the case, I found quite the opposite. When I spoke with people, at least off camera, who are directly involved in matters having to do with coronavirus, either at academic institutions or for the government, the prevailing opinion I found was that they believe this was something that was derived or manipulated at the Wuhan lab, despite all these public comments where people are saying, oh, public health officials don't think that. Now, I must be the only person around that Fauci will not do an interview with because he's sure on TV a lot, but he didn't want to talk with me for the report that I did. And I'll also point out that the federal government has, as it routinely does, broken the law, Freedom of Information Act law, when it comes to producing documents that I requested. Gosh, I think we're talking about April, let me look. April 8th of last year, I requested some public documents, some Fauci emails regarding coronavirus and SARS or COVID-19, and I was specific enough in my request so that it was very doable. A lot of times the government will deny your request or stall it on the basis of it's too broad, you've asked for too much. So I was very narrow and very specific. They could have produced this material in a matter of a day. And in fact, they're required under the law to produce it within about a month. And here we are well over a year later, and they're just completely ignoring it. I'm sure they have no intention of following the law on these Freedom of Information Act requests that I've made. So not only did Fauci decline my interview request, so did Ralph Barrick, the researcher at the University of North Carolina, involved in the gain-of-function research with China and also the University of North Carolina that was engaging via email, chose not to provide us a possible interview that could explain some things to us, didn't give us any additional information. Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, by the way, lists his specific areas of interest online as coronavirus, reverse genetics, and vaccine development. On his bio page, it says, we have developed infectious cDNAs from two coronaviruses Specific applications include rearranging the coronavirus gene, development of coronavirus replicon RNAs, and coronavirus replicon particles for vaccine development. Most of the research in our laboratory, he writes, has used coronaviruses as models to study the genetics of RNA virus transcription, replication, persistence, and cross-species transmission. We have been using alphavirus vaccine vectors to develop novel candidate vaccines against caliciviruses, C-A-L-I-C-I viruses. And another key figure in my report, the head of EcoHealth Alliance, the nonprofit, Peter Daszak, he also declined my interview requests, as I summarize in my story. We wanted to hear more from Fauci and the scientists involved to get their perspectives on the controversy, but Fauci declined our interview request. So did Barrick at the University of North Carolina, as did Dashak, who leads EcoHealth Alliance. On Twitter, Dashak called the idea that COVID 19 links to his research rabbit hole conspiracies. The same gang of right wing media outlets are also posting fraudulent claims about my work, Dashak tweeted. Pure politics without a care for how this ultimately puts public health at risk. Despite Dashak's research partnership with Wuhan Lab scientists, The World Health Organization raised eyebrows by inviting him to help investigate the origins of COVID-19. That team recently issued a report saying it's extremely unlikely the virus came from a lab. That's another important point. The idea that the World Health Organization took a scientist who was directly involved in research with the Chinese lab, Peter Daszak, and put him on the team researching the origin and whether it came from the lab that he was partnered with, which seems like a pretty big conflict of interest. And what that World Health Organization team found in February was that the laboratory incidence hypothesis, as they said, is extremely unlikely to explain the introduction of the virus to the human population. Of course, they haven't said it was impossible. I still think to this day uh, it's believed we don't have access to the information we need to disprove or rule out the Chinese lab. We just haven't had the access. By the way, Dasek acknowledged in a presentation he made in 2015 that experimenting on coronavirus with what they call humanized mice, mice who are grafted with human airway cells so that they can test and make coronavirus infectious in people, he acknowledged that this type of research has the highest degree of risk. Now, back in my story, I'm talking again with Jamie Metzel, the World Health Organization advisor, who's talking about this apparent conflict of interest with Peter Daszak being on the same board or the advisory team that's investigating the origins of COVID-19. Do you have any idea who is behind the effort in the United States to controversialize the mere asking of the question about whether it came from a lab early on?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I have uh, repeatedly called for Peter Daszak to be removed from the WHO-organized International Advisory Committee, looking into the origins of the pandemic. And the reason why I have done so is Peter has a tremendous conflict of interest as someone through his organization, the EcoHealth Alliance, was a significant funder of gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology.
0: Metzl says DashHack and EcoHealth Alliance were a driving force behind efforts to discredit questions about a lab origin of COVID-19 as crackpot theories. They helped orchestrate a letter signed by prominent scientists labeling talk of lab origins as conspiracy theories. Their own ties to the Chinese lab in question were omitted.
1: This letter was very considered at the time, very credible. There were a number of Nobel laureates who signed it. And only later did it come out through a Freedom of Information request that the entire process had been managed and manipulated.
0: Okay, back to another main point. What Jamie Metzl is saying here is that who were the people behind this effort early on to make people not ask the question about whether COVID-19 could have come from a lab, or at least to make people sound like crackpots or that this was a discredited theory. And guess who was one of the driving forces behind it? Peter Dashak, one of the researchers involved with the Wuhan lab. He signed on to a letter saying this was all ridiculous conspiracy theory. This was fairly early in the pandemic. And in that letter, it doesn't disclose that as he's getting together scientists to discredit the notion that it came from the lab, it doesn't disclose that he was conducting research in partnership with the lab. And by the way, if you look at some of these studies, which I linked to in the printed version of my story at CherylAckeson.com, you can read that there were labels added pretty quickly in the pandemic to these studies in question that attempted to discredit the China lab link before anybody could have known whether it was true or not. The editor's notes or addendums added to these studies said, quote, we are aware that this article is being used as the basis for unverified theories that the novel coronavirus causing COVID-19 was engineered. There is no evidence that this is true. Scientists believe that an animal is the most likely source of the coronavirus. Well, certainly that's a claim they were making but there were many scientists who didn't think that and somebody made sure to get these labels these editors notes on these research studies in question fairly early on next in my story some of what the scientists i spoke to and these are not random scientists and one of the reason i can't use their names is because it could impact their positions or their jobs but these are some of the things they told me about the fact that research with China on this sensitive stuff was even allowed. As the question is debated, five scientists who spoke with me said the sensitive US research with China should never have been allowed. One source, a medical doctor says, it was irresponsible to partner with China on how to make coronavirus more infectious. Another, also a medical doctor and a biodefense expert says, hell no, it's not a good idea. China has an active bioweapons program, a very good one, and you're going to cooperate with them on gain-of-function research? Somebody's IQ dropped sharply when that decision was made. She of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, has been firm in her denial of anything to do with COVID-19, calling it nature's punishment on the human race. I swear on my own life that the virus has no connection with the laboratory, she said in a statement, To those people who believe in and are spreading the rumors perpetrated by third-rate media outlets, I would like to give this advice. Shut your dirty mouths. Again, that's Shi Zhengli at the Wuhan Institute of Virology nicknamed Batwoman who has partnered in this research that's in question with US scientists. A few addendums, a little more information. A State Department fact sheet that was released January 15th, 2021 before President Trump left office by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo talked about the origins of COVID-19. And it sounded like there were some people in the government that wanted to get some information out uh, prior to Trump leaving office. And the fact sheet said, quote, several researchers inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology became sick in autumn of 2019, with symptoms consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illnesses. In other words, it's saying that there were signs that perhaps the COVID-19 outbreak was already happening among researchers inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology on the front end. It also stated that the Institute of Virology in Wuhan had not disclosed all of its related work that it was supposed to and further had collaborated on secret projects with China's military. In public statements, about the time of releasing that fact sheet, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State at the time, said that there was enormous evidence supporting the idea that COVID-19 leaked from the Wuhan lab. For its part, the Biden administration has called on the Chinese government to be more transparent and has asked the World Health Organization to complete a full and independent investigation. And in kind of a surprise move after the World Health Organization team suggested in February, that this probably didn't come from the lab, the head of the World Health Organization came out and suggested that that analysis perhaps wasn't thorough enough and that's not the end of the story. So that's ongoing. Also, there are about a 1,000 people who have signed on to a petition created by independent scientists asking the World Health Organization as well as EcoHealth Alliance's Peter Dashak to explain more about the 2019 research that was taking place during the time the pandemic broke out. And one last interesting point I'd like to make. With the Wuhan Institute of Virology's possible role in the COVID-19 outbreak an open question, in the beginning of all of this, the Trump administration canceled some remaining funding for the EcoHealth Alliance research with the lab. This was canceled about April 27th, 2020. You may remember if you were watching a lot of the news, that reporters at a White House briefing or a press briefing by President Trump asked him about, was the U.S. in essence funding work at the Wuhan Institute of Virology? And I remember President Trump saying that he was going to find out about it, and he did and canceled the remaining funding that had already been sent apparently to EcoHealth Alliance or was destined for EcoHealth Alliance to go to the lab. Well, I don't think this was widely reported, but after the funding was cancelled in late April of 2020, there was all kinds of backlash for the cancelled funding by establishment scientists who mounted a big effort and said that this was anti-science on President Trump's part and the funding should not have been cancelled. So there was this political backlash, after which time the National Institutes of Health reinstated the grant, but they did make some conditions. They made China receiving additional funds, taxpayer money, contingent upon the Wuhan Institute of Virology answering some questions about the lab's practices and the COVID 19 outbreak and providing a virus sample. And they actually asked EcoHealth Alliance to be the middleman to get the Wuhan Institute of Virology to agree to these terms in order to get continued funding from the US. What was the response? Well, EcoHealth Alliance criticized the conditions saying that it made the research impossible because, of course, China would never agree to the conditions. And it makes sense to me, well, if they're not going to cooperate when we have a pandemic and we're trying to figure out the origins, why would we continue to give them taxpayer money? But on August twenty seventh, 2020, months after the funding was originally canceled, it was announced that the National Institutes of Health had awarded an even larger grant of taxpayer money, $7.5 million dollars to EcoHealth Alliance. Now, by the way, they don't at EcoHealth Alliance only do research with the Wuhan lab. There's all kinds of other things that they do in terms of sending grants to foreign countries for various work with the stated aim of trying to prevent infectious disease and viral outbreaks. EcoHealth Alliance is now reported to be one of 11 institutions and research teams that have gotten approval to receive part of an $82 million bundle of tax money from taxpayers to study viruses crossing from nature into people and rapid response strategies, something they've been doing for quite some time. So I know this got complicated. I hope I was able to tell it in a way that's fairly clear if you stuck with it all this time. But if you want to go over it and it's better for you to see things in writing because it's clearer that way, go to CherylAckeson.com. And it'll be pasted at the top of my website for a few days. Also, you could just search exclusive investigations separating rumor from fact on COVID-19's origin. And then I will also list it under special investigations on that tab on my website to try to make it easy to find. Take a look at the video. I think that explains a lot as well. I have a diagram there. Gosh, at the time I'm recording this, we've had over 100,000 views on that video on Rumble. You can feel comfortable in passing this along because, as you will see, what I'm reporting is what's documented and what is in the record. This is not conjecture, rumor, conspiracy theory, or anything like that. I think it clarifies a lot of information that's been passed around over the last year and a half with people not really knowing exactly what to make of it. So thanks for listening and sharing with your friends. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'm trying to shed light on and give voice to various views, scientific studies, factual information, all kinds of things that others are trying to censor. Whether I agree with it or not, that's not what's important. It's important to protect the free flow of information in America. Go to CherylAxon.com and check out the Censored tab for more stories and information on censored people, topics, and studies, left, right, and nonpartisan. Check out JustTheNews.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. By the way, this week's program takes a look at the Ashley Babbitt death, the shooting of Ashley Babbitt, the unarmed protester, by a Capitol Hill police lieutenant. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself.